Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. But today on the show, we are bringing back our Missing Pieces side series, where instead of looking at a new movie, we look at a slightly older movie, just old enough in a certain sweet spot that we can look at some of the movies that may have inspired it but also some of the movies that it itself may have inspired. And this is an extra special version of Missing Pieces because we're not just looking at one movie, but an entire trilogy of films. We're looking at Peter Jackson's adaptation of the J.R.R. Tolkien Lord of the Rings trilogy. So this is a major, major franchise. Uh, Of course, Return of the King won Best Picture at the 2003 Oscars, and that is actually why uh, this episode came to be, because over on our sister podcast, Awesome Movie Year, that I produce, that is hosted by Josh Bell and Jason Harris, uh, they are currently doing the 2003 season of Awesome Movie Year, which is their seventh season. And of course, with Return of the King as the Best Picture winner, Best Picture is always one of the main categories that's covered. And we all decided to rewatch the entire trilogy to lead up to that conversation. And I figured, you know, we put all these hours into uh, watching these movies for the first time in forever. We might as well talk about them as a whole and do this Missing Pieces episode. So both Josh and Jason from Awesome Movie Year are here to talk about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That is coming up in a second. Before we get to that conversation, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You know, Spotify is doing a major push with podcasts lately. So uh, we are, of course, available on all the major podcast apps, but I'm going to do a little push on Spotify right here. If Spotify is an app you have installed on your phone, go follow us on Spotify because uh, we are really kind of rocking on Spotify lately. A lot of people are listening on there, and I'd love to see those numbers continue to grow. So subscribe on Spotify today. Uh, Also make sure to follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget that we have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, from everything that I'm involved with, my music career as well. I've got some really great stuff from my music 
that's going to be hitting the Patreon very soon here. Uh, so make sure to check out the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. Patreon.com slash by David Rosen. We've got like six subscribers right now. The more subscribers we get, the more content we're going to make for it. So check that out. And let's get to this conversation. It's a long one, so let's get to it. We're going to talk about The Lord of the Rings. All right, so Josh Bell and Jason Harris are with us today to talk about The Lord of the Rings series in this Missing Pieces episode. Guys, how's it going? I'm happy we're talking about this film because I think it needs some publicity. I think people need to be aware of it. And mm-hmm. uh, we're here to bring it to the masses. And by that, I mean your audience of 17. Yes. Yeah. Hey, now, he's got a bigger audience than awesome movies. Josh, <laughs> Josh, stop undercutting my statements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is about time that somebody brought a little attention to these films, for sure. And, uh, you know, obviously, like we talked about, we just did the awesome movie year episode on return of the King. Cause we were just doing 2003 and it just made sense. All three of us rewatching this entire, how many hours was it? Like uh, 11 hours between those three movies or something. No, uh, I think it's like, that's a few. Yeah. If you do the extended editions, it might be 11 sure. hours. Okay, yeah, at least nine and change, though, maybe closer to 10 and change. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot of time put in, and so it made sense to kind of revisit this in, in whole in this episode as well. So I thought, uh, you know, let's talk about some movies that inspired these, some movies that these inspired. And uh, before we do get into that, I know we talked a little bit about this on, uh, you know, the Awesome Movie Year episode, but I want to, like, just ask each of you first Coming into this, just for for our listeners here, how big would you consider yourself of a Lord of the Rings fan going into this? Uh, Jason, let's start with you. Before I saw the original trilogy, not a fan. After I saw the original trilogy, I thought it was the best trilogy ever made in film. But I haven't Mm -hmm. watched it since then because it is such a task. Um, There's so much you have to put into it. But I did, you know, like you said, we all watched it all again, like the entire thing. And I still maintain that. It is the best trilogy ever made in film. And I know Josh argues that trilogies aren't really a thing anymore, but if we're just taking the first three things, like it just, it holds up. Like, I can't believe how well this thing holds up. Yeah, I was kind of dreading it myself and and it it really does hold up for sure. It does definitely, I think. And um, yeah, coming into it, Originally, um, I wasn't necessarily a fan. I mean, I was familiar with a lot of, yeah, I, I, I like fantasy and sci-fi and all that. And, and I think I probably had those books on my shelf as something that I felt like I should read before mm-hmm. I saw those movies uh, initially, but I hadn't. Uh, I eventually read The Fellowship of the Ring later. But I loved the movies at the time, and I think I maybe loved them slightly less this time, but that's not to say that they're not great and it's not the best trilogy ever made. I think there was something about that initial experience of just being so amazed by it um, because people didn't realize how great it would be. I mean, by the time you get to the third one, you now have two previous movies, so your expectations are raised. But the whole project, I think people didn't understand or didn't know how Mm. amazing it would be. So that's an experience you can't really replicate coming back to it, but it was still great to watch them all again. The other thing is, Josh, to go along with that is, you know, they shot all three of these at once and um, which hadn't been done before. So it was a wild process that had any bit of it let down the other parts, then the trilogy wouldn't have been as good. We all feel that Two Towers 
was the weakest of the three, but I'm glad that's the one in the middle because the first one gets you so excited. The second one holds its holds its, you know, own but isn't the best, although the battle scenes are amazing in the second half. And the third one, Return of the King, I think is the best of the three. So um, you know, to do that much work on that high a level where you have to hold the whole bar that high is pretty incredible. I think so. And I, I think, you know, one other thing, and then we'll start getting into some of these puzzle pieces here, but I think a lot of that is as big of a fan of Peter Jackson as I am. And I've made that statement a lot of times on this podcast and on your podcast, but, uh, I think the casting is like the biggest thing that really kind of is the glue that holds this entire gigantic trilogy together. I just think it's so damn perfect. All of these actors that they brought together, it's it's impossible to picture other people playing these roles. Right. I can picture and- other people playing them, but I have an imagination. <laughs> Right, obviously we can. Well, as we talked about in our awesome movie year, there was a Jason always loves to men- mention alternate casting uh, when we talk about movies. And of course, we talked about Return of the King. By that point, the cast was already set. They weren't sure. going to switch it up. But for the trilogy as a whole, I think there were a number of parts where actors who were in the movie were initially slated to play other parts in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that they didn't end up in it, but that they were playing other parts. I don't remember what all that was. But yeah, clearly... It was always, it was the perfect choice in all instances. Yeah, it all just kind of came together like just so well. But yeah, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces here. Uh, As we do with these Missing Pieces episodes, we're going to start off looking at older movies that may have influenced or inspired The Lord of the Rings, uh, this filmed version of it, which of course is originally inspired by the J.R. Tolkien books. But um, let's start with you, Josh. What do you have for your first puzzle piece? Well, I'm going to go way back and start with The Lost World from 1925, which is a silent film that is a huge pioneer in special effects. I don't know if it was the first movie ever to use stop motion effects combined with live action, but if it wasn't the first, it was the first that kind of reached a wide audience. And I know Peter Jackson is a big film nerd and is really into classic film and film history. And so even though plot wise, it's it, there's some similarities. It's I mean, it's a it's a journey of characters into a lost world uh, in mm-hmm. into a strange, unfamiliar environment on a quest. Um, in this case, these are professors and adventurers and a reporter who are going into this jungle in South America where dinosaurs still roam the earth and they're trying to rescue uh, someone who's been left behind. And the plot is, it's fine. It's based on our Arthur Conan Doyle uh, novel. And it's so old that Arthur Conan Doyle actually shows up in the beginning of the movie for a cameo. So that's kind of amazing. Um, But the effects for being almost a hundred years old, really look amazing. And not only is it cool stop motion animation, but it it interacts with the people. And so, you know, you have this quest narrative, you have a little, like a love story in the middle of it, which was kind of dumb, but hey, you know, you have to include that. And you have all these cool, crazy creatures and a, a land that's been unexplored. And so, I mean, I think just from, from that sort of pioneering filmmaking perspective, I'm sure this is a film that Peter Jackson would have been familiar with. I would think so. And I've never actually seen it, but I definitely want to. And I know that it was a big influence for the original King Kong. And I don't know if Peter Jackson has specifically called King Kong his favorite movie, but I imagine if it's not, it's like a top fiver. And so the fact that this was such a big influence on King Kong, I'm sure it was an influence on him as well. 
Yeah, and I think it's is it Willis O'Brien? I think is the guy who does this the effects and also worked on those stop motion effects for the original King Kong. Jason, have you seen uh, The Lost World? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, Jason, what do you got for your uh, first piece? Dave, I also picked a film that has been lost to time, but for film nerds, historians, and those who really dig deep, it is a movie called Star Wars. Um, you might Star never... Wars, Star Wars, Josh. Oh, okay. You I'm might not familiar not with this one. It. Yeah. Well, let me, I don't think let me I have. educate you, Josh. Okay. <laughs> no, I get it. You know, look, uh, Star Wars is an obvious pick and I always ding Dave when we do the trailer episodes for the obvious yeah. picks, but someone had to say Star Wars because like, it wouldn't have been a complete puzzle without it. Right. Because that is the yeah. original sci-fi fantasy epic trilogy. And, you know, again, People have their favorites. I don't think anyone's favorite is Return of the Jedi, per se, unless you're like a five-year-old kid who loves uh, Ewoks and whatnot. But you can say that the first one is not the best, I think, in many instances, because I think Empire is the best. But anyway, the point is that, like, were trilogies really a thing before Star Wars? And when you think of trilogies, along with Lord of the Rings, this is probably the other one you think of, along with maybe Godfather and then the Indiana Jones one before it bastardized it itself with the skull of the kingdom of idiots so uh that was the title of that yeah also for you film history nerds so uh so i went with star wars because someone had to josh yeah it had to be on the list for sure and i think i think as far as trilogies go i mean both of these have just everything from like you know big giant battles and the friendships and the politics and then of course uh, you know groundbreaking effects and it's just they definitely both follow that same kind of pattern and then also another connection there uh the hero loses a limb so you know, a full limb in Star Wars, a pinky or whatever it is, middle <laughs> ring finger. Well, one other th- one other thing. Um, both directors have variations of curly hair, much like you, Dave. But you're more slightly right. like Peter Jackson than put together like George <laughs> Lucas. But I did want to bring up a point about the filming because we talk about the risks that Peter Jackson took here. We got to also recognize George Lucas put his ass on the line to make Star Wars, right? If that failed, he was out of the industry. He was out of money. Like, you know, he was doing a lot of crazy things to get this thing financed. And no one really understood what was going on until it came out. So just for the spirit of risk, I like the connection between those two as well. Absolutely. Josh, you have anything else you wanted to say on the Star Wars? Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll show it to you, Josh. When you th- thank you, you yeah, you can. We can have a little movie night. Uh, no, I mean, I think Jason is right that yeah, okay, maybe it's obvious, but it's it's clearly it's obvious for a reason because it's very clearly an important influence here. So I uh, agree. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll go with my first piece, and uh, also possibly somewhat obvious, but um. You know, back back in the 90s, the two kings of horror splatter comedy were Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson with Sam Raimi with Evil Dead and uh, Peter Jackson with Dead Alive and, and all of his early movies. And Sam Raimi went on to Army of Darkness. Peter Jackson went on to the freaking Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> so it's uh, a little bigger. Uh, Wait Peter a second. Jackson. Sam Raimi directed the Spider-Man movies. Like, it's of not course. like he just messed with- around. Which of are course, a trilogy. I, 
Yeah, I of course, but I'm talking about as far as uh, medieval war with with evil, you know, demons and skeleton armies and all of the mythical creatures and all that kind of good, fun, funky stuff. So Army of Darkness is the puzzle piece here, not, uh, you know, Sam Raimi in general. But yeah, Army of Darkness is, you know, to me, one of my favorite movies. And one of the things that I love so much about Lord of the Rings is you know, taking that kind of uh, fantasy element and the horror element and kind of playing it up to just the full-fledged blockbuster, you know, as far as you can go, big as you can go, exciting popcorn thrill ride kind of movie making. And I, I do think that Army of Darkness is that at that kind of smaller, still kind of stuck in the B-movie world kind of thing. So so I think the two of them kind of went in a similar trajectory with those two projects, except for, obviously, Lord of the Rings is such a bigger project when it comes down to it. Yes, Dave. Uh, perhaps your film essay comparing Army of Darkness and Lord of the Rings is what got you into the Nevada Film Critics Society because it's such a clear <laughs> comparison. But I will give you, uh, I will give you a, a, some props for the idea of the splatter horror, which Jackson, you know, kind of worked on so heavily and then we see him take it to like its ultimate level in the lord of the rings movies like that spider scene we talk about where it just kind of guts frodo or or you know when uh arrowin uh you know beheads the death rider or whatever it is you know stuff like that is a connection so half a point no i think i think dave is is good it make it makes sense and i mean the difference is that Sam Raimi takes his existing characters and his existing series and kind of moves them into this fantasy world sure. versus Peter Jackson taking on a different property that already is fantasy. So, you know, it's that that's the difference in the scale. But I, I think the, the idea of them making that transition from the small scale splatter horror movies into something grander and more epic, I think it makes sense. And yeah. I'm just saying Army of Darkness isn't the grander thing for Sam Raimi. The grander thing is the Spider-Man pieces. Well, but it's the grander thing in the sense of a fantasy world, which connects to the Lord of the Rings also. Exactly. Spider-Man, of course, we're, we're going even grander and even bigger. But, uh, you know, we, we could throw that in as a bonus piece as well. So <laughs> It's your puzzle. No one's telling That's you how right. big it has to be. <laughs> so, Josh, what do you got for your next one? Well, I'm going to stick with some some older stuff and uh, mention Ray Harryhausen, who is a titan in the world of special effects and I'm sure a big influence on Peter Jackson in general. I hadn't really seen much that Ray Harryhausen had worked on, so I kind of was uh, looking for one of his most well-known films, and I, I watched The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad from it's somewhere in the 1950s. I forget exactly what year it is. Um, and it's super hokey. Um, and you could argue that the Lord of the Rings is kind of hokey at, at times. And I think that it works and that the cheesy moments of the Lord of the Rings are mostly earned and they really get you emotionally. And I, I don't really feel that way about Sinbad. But it is a great adventure story. Again, it's another kind of a quest. It's it's more, uh, even though it's theoretically set in the in our world, it's, it's far more of a fantasy story where this is a world where monsters and all sorts of magical creatures exist and they're just accepted. Uh, and Sinbad is is uh, taking this journey to this island where they have to seek out 
uh, some sort of formula in order to create a potion. Um, but there's also a main storyline of this magic lamp that the main villain is uh, obsessed with obtaining and it kind of corrupts him. And it was actually kind of like the ring, which I didn't expect. I just watched it <laughs> for the Ray Harryhausen special effects. But um, it actually has some similarity. And of course, the the stories of Sinbad are, are folklore that even Tolkien might have been influenced by. And like The Lost World, it has amazing special effects. The stop motion work is, and it's, it's in full technical color and looks gorgeous. Um, and even if you think if the story is dumb and some of the acting is real stilted, um, the special effects are just amazing. There's a cyclops and there's a dragon and there's this giant two-headed bird thing. And uh, then there's this like half snake, half woman, where it's a combination of an actual actress and some of Harryhausen's effects. So it's really amazing what they were able to do with that stuff, even in the 1950s. And some of it looks better than a lot of CGI we see now. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. That's an interesting thing about both of your picks so far is that, you know, that a lot of times when you move into CGI, you end up like losing a lot of that heart that's in, you know, these kinds of creatures and stuff like that. But Peter Jackson seems to be able to kind of make that transition without losing that a little bit. And I, I think that that's one of the things that's so great about him and his like whole Weta workshop and, and all that. They, they really make some really amazing effects works that, you know, still feels real. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's better here than in some other films that he did before. Um, yeah. You know, like the Frighteners. I just don't think it's a, I'm not trying to knock your, you know, movie that you picked, but I'm just saying like, I think he really perfects it here. Uh, just like kind of in the um, they will not grow old the way he's colorized and made it 3D. So it feels very lifelike. It adds to the story. It doesn't, you know, divert you from it. Sure. Right. And and the Lord of the Rings movies are full of CGI, but there's still also a lot of practical effects in these movies. Mm -hmm. And more so, I think, than you get in most blockbusters uh, at right like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Jason told that interesting story about how he bought like, was it like thousands of toys or whatever to like pre stage effect shots yeah, and stuff. 40 or 50,000 action figures. And <laughs> it's amazing. Just, just to like kind of work on the, uh, yeah, the staging, like you said. So they <laughs> shall not grow old, by the way, the, the movie. That That's right. Yeah. Awesome movie, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but Jason, what do you got for your next pick? Well, then, Dave, I'm going to move on to quest films. And not to say Star Wars wasn't a quest, but if we're doing quests with buddies and kind of finding characters along the way to help out, I go to one of the best movies ever made, 1987, The Princess Bride, Rob Reiner, director of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, doesn't direct the episodes, but he is the official director of choice on Awesome Movie Year. But again, it's an adventure. It involves all these kind of uh, mismatched types, like uh, going to, you know, achieve a goal together. And, you know, the set pieces and the settings are huge and part of what takes you to another world. And it connects also to my next piece, but you'll have to wait for that. Oh, well, that, I'm, I'm looking forward to that for sure. It's, a, it's uh, like a trilogy of picks with the yeah. cliffhanger at the end of part two. I like it. I like it. But yeah, Princess Bride, I mean, you know, absolutely beloved when it comes to like fantasy movies. And so I, I think that that definitely deserves a spot. on It plays list. with the form, you know, and kind of is, I'm not going to say meta, but referential to the form. So um, I think that all, all counts towards it. Absolutely. Uh, I'll go with my next pick and this one. So I think it's not 
too far out there to say that one of the best things about this trilogy is Gollum, Andy Serkis's character that he plays. And uh, so specifically for the Gollum character, I thought of the uh, the story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which, of course, has been, you know, the subject of a lot of movies, you know, going all the way back. I think 1931 is the first one. Uh, but this story of a, a character trying to fight off his own evil side, his own murderous, treacherous side, and that performance in this movie, I think, is very influenced by that kind of a character, and is so much fun to watch, and so sad to watch, and so just so well done and you know we talk all the time about how great Andy Serkis is but he really pulls it off to basically be creating the technology at the same time as you know being the first person to pull off a role like this and do it so well is just amazing yeah I think if they were to make Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde again which I'm sure they will Andy yeah. Serkis could totally be the star of it and that would be great that would be, it great. Would be. Good, good call Josh let's screen Thank light you. it yeah um, let's do it <laughs> Dave yeah, you did make a good point where like the technology develops as Andy Serkis develops right like <laughs> right, not to right. say the technology isn't there but it's like what he does with it kind of showcases the abilities of the technology right and I don't know you know that could be in some of the other puzzle pieces going forward of other things that he's done since then. But I, I agree, like, you know, if they got a lesser performer, it wouldn't it wouldn't have taken it to the heights that it's at. Yeah. So, Josh, what do you got for your next piece? Well, I'm going to continue with my uh, sort of unofficial theme here of, uh, you know, the storytelling use of special effects and sure. pick the Dark Crystal, the uh, Jim Henson 1980s fantasy epic. And that is a movie that I don't I don't know if there's I don't think there's any stop motion in it. But, if, of course, it, it uses puppetry in a way that really wasn't done so much, including with the main characters. Um, I mean, not just as like a creature that human actors would encounter, but the whole world created via puppetry. Um, and so not only that, I think in terms of creating these original creatures um, done in a way that, you know, puppetry hadn't been used that way before. So it's, it's all of these movies are sort of like pioneering special effects in different ways and taking them to a new level. And that's something that Peter Jackson continues to do. But I mean, the Dark Crystal storyline as well, and creating this full on fantasy world, as opposed to the other movies I mentioned, which are sort of ostensibly in our real world where we, you know, move from reality into a fantasy. I mean, this is a fully, fully realized fantasy world um, with its own extensive mythology. And you get a sense in the Dark Crystal of this being sort of one installment in a longer saga that we have, you know, not heard of yet and that's very much a thing in the lord of the rings with this is you know it's it's this is the whatever age of middle earth and there are so many other ages and this is just one story among so many um and that's something that you uh that you get in the dark crystal and the the gelflings the main characters in the dark crystal kind of look like hobbits or there may be sort of like a com combination between hobbits and elves they're very short um but they do have these sort of elfin features so, yeah, and I, will, I won't have it for my next thing, but I think interestingly, as much as the Dark Crystal is a big influence on the Lord of the Rings, and then recently the Dark Crystal TV series that mm. was on Netflix that expanded that fantasy world and got a lot more serious as opposed to the sort of more family-oriented original movie was really influenced by the Lord of the Rings. So it's sort of this uh, circle of life going on there. 
Yeah, for sure. I I actually have never seen the Dark Crystal. And I've always wanted to. It looks so cool. Those those like uh, puppet effects and all that. I actually really don't like the Dark Crystal. I think the puppetry is cool, but the story I think is dreadful and yeah. the characters are mostly annoying and I really dislike the series, <laughs> but it has a huge cult following and I do think it's very influential. I think they should remake it, but the Gelflings should be the love child between Bob Geldof and David Geffen. <laughs> real real music mold. Why would you say that? <laughs> I have no idea, so... Oh, boy. Jason, what do you got next? Dave, my next piece is a book by J.R.R. Tolkien. Of the Lord <laughs> of That's not true. <laughs> um, look, we're staying on quests, and it's almost a companion piece in that it uh, came out right around the same time as The Princess Bride. I think it came out a year later. But one of the great fantasy quests of the 80s was Willow with our friend Warwick Davis, who we all know personally and go have drinks with. But Willow, a little person, the hobbits, little people, uh, Willow has to save an orphan from an evil queen or else the orphan might turn evil. The hobbits on the quest have to destroy a ring from getting in the hands of evil golems and sorcerers or else the world ends. It's a natural. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that fits absolutely well. And, uh, you know, I'll just kind of combine right there, piggyback with you, because another beloved 80s, you know, mystical type of uh, story based on books, The NeverEnding Story was going to be my third one. Yeah, so I think they kind of go hand too. in hand. Yeah. yeah, that was on my list as well. I haven't seen either of those since I was a small child. So I don't really, I loved The NeverEnding Story and also was very scared of it, I think, as a Me child. Me too. Yeah. Uh, isn't there something, there's something in it called like The Nothing uh is that it i don't remember I but don't remember either uh that's that's just like this creeping darkness that that you know might envelop characters so uh i don't know they, they totally make sense as picks i i haven't seen them you know recently enough to really comment further one other thing is you know at the end of return of the king we see frodo writing the tale of the lord of the rings and at the beginning we see bilbo writing the hobbit stories right and mm -hmm. Both The NeverEnding Story and Princess Bride are people reading into the stories, right? So that's sure. another connection. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, I think that goes so well with like just the fantasy setup because, you know, these are fantasies and so it just makes so much sense. The only other thing I was going to say is, uh, and I guess Willow too, but because uh, I think they were trying to make a remake of that or maybe they are. Oh, that's but happening, I was thinking, yeah. Disney Plus is. is doing a Willow remake, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say never-ending story. I'm sure that's going to happen sooner or later, some kind of reboot or something. Yeah, they already did a heavy reference piece on Stranger Things and like one of the love stories where the kids sing the, ne the never-ending story theme song to each other. And it could come nice. off as really hokey, but they kind of pull it off, I think. Yeah, you know? I do remember the theme song, definitely. From Sing it from for us, Josh. No, I will not do that. <laughs> That'll be on the Patreon. So let's move forward then and start looking at some movies that the Lord of the Rings series might have inspired, which is a lot, a lot, a lot of movies. But uh, Josh, let's start with you. All right. Well, I'm going to start with Avatar. And, you know, we talked about George Lucas and I think James Cameron is another director who goes along with Peter Jackson and George Lucas as someone who is as interested in sort of pushing technology forward with his films as he is in telling stories and creating characters, sometimes to his detriment in all of mm -hmm. the cases with all of those filmmakers. Um, 
But I mean, I think Avatar is is a huge undertaking, even just as a one movie. And obviously he's been working on these Avatar sequels for, it seems like a decade now, but theoretically they're going to come out eventually. Um, Maybe. But even those, even aside from those, just the single film was this enormous undertaking for James Cameron, for which he had to sort of develop new technologies. And I think the success of The Lord of the Rings is one thing that would give him, not that James Cameron lacks confidence, but that would give him the confidence and give this a studio the confidence that this is something that could succeed. And even though it's an original, original uh, world, <laughs> not based on any existing source material, that this is something that audiences have an appetite for. And it does have that similar immersive sense. It's got the quest narrative. It's got the sort of everyman hero who becomes, you know, who gets caught up in this larger uh, sort of saga. And uh, obviously it was hugely successful even to a greater degree than The Lord of the Rings. And it's like, it, it It also was one of those movies and I haven't seen it since it came out and I assume I'll revisit it at some point before these sequels come out. But it was something that was such a, a an experience when you first saw it. And I feel like it's something that unlike The Lord of the Rings maybe probably doesn't hold up, but mm. just going to see Avatar was like, an undertaking that was kind of amazing at the time. Yeah. Jason mentioned earlier about like recreating that, that experience about seeing Lord of the Rings for the first time. And that is something that absolutely is impossible with avatar. Like it is, it is such a singular moment of the moment thing and definitely just does not work without that. But yeah, I mean, it's got its legions of fans still though. But you're kind of dancing around the, the thing, which is that um, the reason that you can watch Lord of the Rings now on your TV and it's maybe not the same experience as seeing it live on the big screen, but you can still really enjoy it is because it's really well written. Avatar sure. is a piece of crap from a writing standpoint, but technolo technologically amazing, right? So you go and you're like, oh yeah, this story sucks, but look at how those Navis look, right? Or whatever, like, and you kind of let it go because it's on the big screen with the 3D and everything else. But if you watch it on your TV, you're like, I'm going to punch my TV. I, I didn't hate the story that much. I mean, it's definitely very derivative and, and kind of basic. How about but, the dialogue? Right. I mean, and I haven't seen it in, you know, 12 years or whatever, so I don't remember specifically. Certainly, it was not as well written. Yeah. Um, but I think Cameron can be a good writer. I mean, I love, you know, the Terminator movies that he made are some of my favorite movies ever. So I, I think there was some degree, I mean, any movie that successful is going to have a backlash. And I think there was maybe some degree of exaggeration over how terrible the story and the dialogue were. But Definitely. I mean, they're not great. And maybe if I revisited it now, I would agree with you, Jason, and say, oh, actually, it was just total trash. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not knocking him clearly. I mean, he's made a lot of great movies, right? And I agree, the Terminator movies. Titanic's a good movie, though a little self-indulgent, right? There's other things in there. A little. But but I mean, <laughs> but I mean, there's nothing more self-indulgent than Avatar. And I just think he, True. he cares less. I mean, kind of like the same way George Lucas with the sequels of the Star Wars movies, they care so much about the technology that they're like, they didn't do the basic work as a writer. Right. I mean, and as I was saying, I think all of those, and I think Peter Jackson can fall into that trap too, not with the Lord of the Rings movies, but with later movies maybe, where he is so consumed with what can he do technologically that he loses sight of a good story and characters and dialogue. And 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, I yeah. agree with you. I think that's one of the things that happens with all of these. I don't think you're wrong, Josh. I think if we were betting on which one could pull themselves out of that writing slump, Peter Jackson would be my pick. I hope so. We'll see. I mean, he hasn't done a narrative film in quite a while. So, uh, you know, we'll see if he manages to, to pull that off, whatever he does next. I do look forward to it. But uh, Jason, what do you got for your first? Well, Dave, I, it's not just movies. It's TV. It's pop culture in general. So sure. my first pick is actually two picks um, because one I mentioned on Awesome Movie Year. But I want to stick uh, to comedy television here. The first one, which is one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen, uh, which I did mention on Awesome Movie Year, is the Ian McKellen, uh, Ricky Gervais scene in Extras where Ricky Gervais is auditioning to be in a play that McKellen's directing. And Ian McKellen explains to him his process as an actor, like, he, I'm not really a wizard. I just play one. And how do I know what to say? The words are written for me in a script, right? And the whole time, Ricky Gervais, like him or not, is a wonderful straight man for these type of things. Like, yeah, I know what, huh? And then Ian McKellen at one point, has this brilliant line where he goes, so if you were to chart a graph of my process, it would go something like this. Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. Wizard, you shall not pass. Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. <laughs> and it's just so genius in the way it's executed in its simplicity. So that is one of the two I wanted to mention. And the other two in comedic television while Josh did not sing for you, Dave, I will sing for you. Oh, um, boy. And you can join in whenever you want. And uh, this is an episode of a show that is beloved and clearly based on the Lord of the Rings and a quest. A great adventure is waiting for you ahead. Hurry on, lemmy wings, for you will soon be dead. The journey before you may be long and filled with woe, but you must escape the gay man's ass or you can't. Your tale can't be told. Lemmy wings, lemmy wings, lemmy wings, lemmy wings. Don't worry, there's only seven more verses. Oh, no, man. I won't do. Dave is, Dave's going to get a cease and desist from Comedy Central. <laughs> lemmy wings, lemmy wings, lemmy, lemmy, lemmy wings. The South Park episode of Lemmy Winks. And that is I, a deep I, cut. <laughs> yeah, that was a very deep cut. But I will say, though, you're you're definitely not wrong because uh, I think that Trey and Matt absolutely milked the uh, Lord of the Rings influence for a lot of stuff. I think the video game was uh, very influenced by Lord of the Rings. There's a lot more other things that they've done, not just Lemmy Winks, but the Lemmy Winks episode for sure. Yeah. I'm done with my piece. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful, wonderful piece, Jason. So I will move on then uh, to to something that Josh kind of hinted on during the Return of the King episode, but I think definitely needs to be said, and that is Zack Snyder and his Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League Snyder Cut thing, but really the entire career of Zack Snyder. I think as soon as that whole soft, ethereal, uh, mist and shadow song started right before the battle sequence in Return of the King. Uh, that is the moment when Zack Snyder said, I know what I want to do with my life and <laughs> try to recreate that moment over and over again through all of his films. It's just that that juxtaposition of these just soft, very, very still musical pieces with giant slow motion battle sequences. And it's, it's what he loves to do. And then aside from that, though, going straight to the actual Zack 
Snyder's Justice League, which we did use the Lord of the Rings as a puzzle piece for, by the way. You know, it's just this big, huge, epic story with so many uh, sequences, flashbacks to the things that happened before, the things that will happen after, the things that are concurrently happening with different people on different <laughs> Flashbacks segments. to things that are happening right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just... Who the hell knows? But that that's what Justice League is. And I think that it's this uh, this Zack Snyder version of trying to do, uh, trying to fit all the things that, that uh, Peter Jackson fit into three movies, but into one movie. Yeah. And I, I what I think I mainly talked about, maybe you're referring to on that awesome movie year episode is the sort of idea of everything has to have an extended cut now right. because the Lord that of the Rings too. had those and that were so popular. And we just, you know, fans... Or a certain kind of fans seem to assume now that every movie would be better if it was much longer. <laughs> and yes. we just want more of it. And that is terrible. And <laughs> we can maybe blame Peter Jackson in part for that. I think it would be fair too. Well, I'm gonna defend Peter Jackson on that, Josh. It's not like he's put out, you know, an extended cut of the lovely bones or anything, you know? <laughs> but put, would he if he were asked? I mean, he put out an extended cut of uh, was it all three or just Return of the King? Oh, all three have very extended oh, yeah. cuts. Okay, so yeah. this is like a specific project that he did it. But I, I mean, again, you know, he wasn't doing it during the schlock phase, the schlock gore phase or anything. And so I'm going to give him a pass on that. But I do agree that the extended cut is um, is already overdone in, in Hollywood. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. also going to Zack Snyder, uh, you know, one of his lesser known films, The Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, is sure. like the Lord of the Rings with owls. So good, jo good job for knowing the subtitle on that. Oh, oh. man. I only remembered the subtitle because it's so dumb. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I had the main title right. But did you I saw know? that movie in a theater. Oh, my God. You did, was it good? No, it's not. It's a Zack Snyder movie. <laughs> I mean, I think the extended Justice League cut which i did not watch admittedly is is fair because of all the nonsense that that project had to go through and he was putting out like this was my vision of the thing so i don't fault him for that it's like if he did like a extended version of the legend of gahul or whatever that you just mentioned <laughs> stuff like that that would be like yo dude chill out go do something productive with your time and to be honest and be clear i i actually did enjoy the uh the snyder cut but i mean it is just so overblown and ridiculous and there may be a Legend of Gahul director's cut. I, there was an article that I, I hadn't read, but I saw it was linked and it was you know tied to the Snyder cut where a critic was looking at five other Snyder cuts. So at least five other Zack Snyder movies have extended editions that he created and released. So it's definitely not just Justice League. Well, one thing that's Amazing. interesting is it's like we're past the point of DVDs, right? Because that would make sense on like a Blu-ray special edition and all the behind the scenes featurettes. And I kind of miss that. But, I, um, you know, and, and then I wouldn't fault anyone for putting extended cuts out. No, but I think the idea that like, yeah, you can put extra material on the DVD or a Blu-ray like, hey, here are some other scenes that we left out if you want to check them out. But the idea that the movie itself is now longer and that's the definitive version of it, I, I think mm. is something that is abused still. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, because I mean, that's the thing with Awesome Movie or two. We always try to like look back at the movie in its original form just to kind of see what it was. And the idea that some of these movies, they kind of don't really exist anymore in their original form. They just change it. And yeah, that kind of sucks. Well, it's for better or worse. Like with Star Wars, all those new effects are horrible and you miss them. 
the same time yep. everyone in the world seems to think Godfather 3 is a much better movie now that Coppola cut it on his own. And I can't see how it could be worse than the cut that I saw, the original cut. <laughs> so, Josh, what do you have for your next one? Well, I'm going to pick a Peter Jackson boondoggle next, but not the Hobbit movies, because that seemed far too obvious. So <laughs> my next pick is a movie called The Mortal Engines, which mm. Peter Jackson did not direct, but was directed by, I believe it's Christian Rivers is his name, who was kind of a Peter Jackson protege. And this is another fantasy epic that is based on a series of books that were relatively popular. And I mean, one thing obviously that the Lord of the Rings influenced is just this flood of all of these sort of would-be fantasy epics based on books, some of which were very popular books and some of which were not that popular really. Um, mm. But all of these movies, and there's a whole, there's lists that you can read of all these movies that are like the first part of a series that never continued. Right, and Mortal right. Engines goes along with that. Um, but the difference is that this is a Peter, a Peter Jackson project. It's a project that he had in development. He got the rights to the movie or to the books. And clearly he was hoping to sort of gift this to his longtime collaborator as like his own Lord of the Rings. And that just did not work out. And it's it's terrible. It's some like a post-apocalypse thing with these like moving cities on like wheels or legs or something. And there's a I think there was a chosen one. And I don't know. All I remember is the main the main character is like a historian who studies, you know, the lost, what it would be like our world, you know, because it's a post-apocalypse thing and he collects like artifacts of of the the world that no longer exists. Uh <laughs> one of which was a a, a minion. You know, yeah, from the Despicable Me movies, and uh, and he's a historian, and he takes out some bad guy, and he says, "You're history." So Ooh. you want to talk about terrible dialogue? I hated that movie so much, and and I didn't see it, but I think you bring up a good point, Josh, which is like the Lord of the Rings is a special project, and not every project that falls into the category of fantasy or trilogy needs to be shaped the same way as the Lord of the Rings was. Right. And that's something that really applies to The Hobbit, too, that, that Peter Jackson tried to make that another Lord of the Rings, and that was the really wrong decision. But I think that goes for so many of these adaptations that regardless of what the source material really was or the tone or whatever, they all tried to make it kind of like The Lord of the Rings. The first one I remember, like post Lord of the Rings, that everybody seemed to really want to work was that Aragon. Remember that? Oh, yeah. I saw that one, too. <laughs> It's bad. Probably not very good. Yeah. No, they're almost all bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jason, what do you got for your next one? Well, my next one does have source material and is a multi, multi-part adaptation and is set in a world where fantasy meets uh, kind of humanity. And it does work on a great level. It is a TV show none of you have ever heard of called Game of Thrones. Star Wars? <laughs> Were you God. saying Boo or Boo Earns? Uh, but look, game, does Game of Thrones exist? I mean, you know, people probably had been trying to adapt that for a long time. Does it exist without Lord of the Rings? No, I don't think it does, you know? No way. Yeah. Um, right. And, you know, it's coming up on the 10-year anniversary. They're going to do a big uh, anniversary thing. But I think one of the things that was a beautiful thing for Game of Thrones was that they slow built a lot of things and let them develop over the seasons. And that's what was good with Lord of the Rings is they didn't, they were long movies, but they had 
definitive beginnings, middles, and ends in each movie, right? And the best seasons of uh, Lord of the Rings were like that. And then you got to the last season and it was like, eh, we're going to do six episodes because we want to go make a movie. Here's uh, 17 things in each episode. And you kind of lost the ability to savor, which was what made Lord of the Rings so great. So I would say, um, yeah, and made Game of Thrones so great. You know, the early parts, the the first few seasons where you really got into the characters and, and everything. But... Yeah, when I was watching, like, Two Towers in those battle scenes, I'm like, this is, like, when they tried to take down the wall and, you know, Lord of the Rings. So, that, and, you know, that's my second puzzle piece, dragons and everything. Right, that's, I, I agree. I put that on my list, and I just, I figured someone would bring it up. Definitely that, uh, that is correct. Good job, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm going for there. Yeah. And now back to the Lemmy Wing song. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll just say I still have not watched Game of Thrones, but uh, I'm saving it for during maybe the next pandemic or something. That'll be what yeah. I want. I mean, there's I, I didn't to... make it to the end. I gave up in season five or six or something. Yeah, man. This the last season. A lot happened, so you can say there are definitive endings, but you just wish they would have stretched those. Most of the time, Josh and I agree. It's like, hey, you can do three, four seasons and out, but like this one. That last season, it's like, hey, yeah, we'll do a mini season. We're going to go try to make... I think they made a Star Wars movie or some stupid... Well, they didn't. They they still have yet to do anything. They keep signing all these giant deals and then failing to follow through. Right. You wish they would have just stayed and been like, we're going to do two proper Lord of the Rings seasons to finish this out the right way. Because it does, uh, you know, the ending is not as satisfying as where it should be considering the quality of those first five, six seasons. Right. Yeah. Well, and Game of Thrones itself now is super influential. And and another kind of full circle thing is that the Lord of the Rings TV series that's coming up on Amazon is clearly influenced by Game of Thrones. It's clearly yeah. Amazon looking at HBO and saying, we want our Game of Thrones. What property can we pick up that is really well known and really popular to kind of make that happen? So it's another thing, you know, where these things kind of feed on each other. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that works out, but I don't know. It will not. Definitely. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, Well, I'll go to my next one. And speaking of things that I didn't think would work out, but I really do think they did, uh, the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy from Matt Reeves. Uh, This series, I I truly think, is, if not the best, one of the best like blockbuster series of the last 10, 20 years. And... The center of the whole thing is the Caesar character, of course, played by Andy Serkis, and it does feel a lot like the main drive of this series was to create this character for Andy Serkis to to have a, this big trilogy arc with, and it all pays off. I mean, every step of the way through those movies, I mean... You know, interestingly, kind of like The Lord of the Rings, we talked about how the third and the first are, I think, all three of our favorites. I think the third and the first are the best of these. But uh, really the whole way, though, that that whole Caesar story really works and really shows off just what you can do with CGI characters. So to jump in real fast, I agree with you. I, I mean, and I'm glad you brought it up because we had talked about how Andy Circus and the technology kind of uh, are neck and neck with each other, right? And they each keep pushing each other in a way. And you do see that. But I am going to say, I think you should give, I mean, I agree with you. It's, it's, those are really good films, but you got to give a little more credit to the rest of the films, all the, you know, the body of the films, the writing, the stories, because Andy Serkis was also, wasn't he King Kong for Peter Jackson? Yeah. And that, that movie's not bad, but it's super hit and miss. It's not the quality of the Planet of the Apes movies, you know? So, 
Um, I just want to I want to give that its due as uh, as a, a good movie, no matter what. But yes, the Andy Circus stuff m- maybe takes it over the top. I love King Kong, but I'm not going to fight you on that, Jason. <laughs> I was going to say, Jason, yeah, I know Dave is a huge, huge fan of that Peter Jackson King Kong movie. It's all right. It's hit and miss. Yeah. I mean, I'm with yeah. you, Jason, although I haven't seen it since it first came out, but I also just thought it was all right, but I know how much Dave loves it. I also yeah. am not really a fan of those Planet of the Apes movies, but um, I know that I'm the only one. So, <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I, I give Andy Serkis credit. One of the other things about those Planet of the Apes movies is that, or at least between from the first one to the second one, they're very different. Like mm-hmm. the story that's told in that first one is, you know, the sort of like, it's like a pre-apocalypse versus a post-apocalypse kind of story. And so they really take a leap between the first one and the second one, you know, in a way that Lord of the Rings doesn't do. I mean, this is a trilogy where it's clearly all one story. Um, you know, and so those, those movies, I think make more of an effort to make each one feel like its own distinctive thing. Definitely. Yeah. And I love the third one so much. I mean, it's, it's such a weird blockbuster, you know, it's like practically a silent film half the time. It's like a Western. It's just, it's just, it's so many different things. And like you said, each one is very different from the last. So, uh, Josh, let's move back to you for your uh, last one. So I was having a little trouble. I wanted to come up with, because I feel like this is an important influence of Lord of the Rings, that the idea that even movies that are historical epics that are not based in fantasy worlds, and that it may even be based on real people and real events, sort of take a similar approach to storytelling and to this big spectacle as Lord of the Rings. I was trying to find a good example of this, and I felt like I kind of didn't fully succeed. I actually thought of mentioning 300, the Zack Snyder movie. Um, right, yeah. But so my imperfect pick for this is Kingdom of Heaven, the Ridley Scott film, which has Orlando Bloom of The Lord of the Rings, of course, uh, and and is a historical story. But I think, and I haven't seen this since it was in theaters, but it definitely takes that big, epic scope and the idea of you know, the, the the sort of grand importance of everything that all of these characters do and and making it feel, uh, you know, broad and uh, being immersive. And another thing about Kingdom of Heaven is this is a, an extended cut. And sure. I have not seen, but this is one, this is one of those movies, Jason, I think that you were kind of pointing out where it, it actually is better, or at least, you know, according to almost anyone who has seen the director's cut, the, the original cut when it was released in theaters was not particularly well-reviewed, didn't didn't really do well at the box office. And Ridley Scott released this now, I think, over three-hour-long cut. So, you know, another Lord of the Rings connection there um, that really deepens, I think, the storytelling. And one of the things that Lord of the Rings does is, you know, it gives you real, fully realized characters alongside this big action and this this, you know, magical world. So I haven't seen it recently enough to say... This is exactly what I mean, but I do feel like this is something that if you make a big, you know, historical movie, especially one that takes place in sort of a medieval-ish time period and involves a lot of warriors or whatever, you're going to look to the Lord of the Rings as an influence, even though, of course, that stuff isn't real. So that's my pick there as Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, I, I've never seen that director's cut, but I know it has such a great reputation. And I remember the original version being like, you know, some cool action, like some cool, like world building to it, but just the story wasn't that great. So I, I probably should watch that director's cut one of these days. I saw the, I saw the original and I, I think 
I was not impressed with it, but I wish they would have just let Ridley Scott release his cut instead. So. Right. Well, yeah. at least they did eventually. So yeah, I also was remember not being that impressed with the original, but I do think it's got that kind of that kind of approach to it. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and like you said, three hundred would definitely fit that mold as well. So, yeah. uh, Jason, what do you got for your last? Part? I mean, I was gonna go with one of these like already set trilogies or whatnot, um, but instead I'm gonna do one that's not yet a trilogy, but it's only a matter of time before it's a trilogy, and it's another movie that. When it was made, people were like, why are they making that? That's totally going to fail. Or it's not going to live up to what the amount of money they're putting in is. And it's another quest with mis, uh, mismatched uh, groupings. And that, so that I picked Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I think Marvel is definitely, you know, kind of built building a lot of things off the way The Lord of the Rings was released anyway. And I think this one with kind of all the the protagonists and how they all have you know, kind of adversarial friendships with one another, and they all have strengths that when put together, um, they're able to save the day. It just kind of fit. And I also like the idea of like Middle Earth and outer space and saving <laughs> things that are not the world that we human beings live in. Yeah, and you could definitely yeah. see a connection from Gimli to Rocket Raccoon. Right, exactly. The sarcastic, sure. uh, I'm physically small, so I am brash and going to prove my strength all the time, you know, type yeah yeah no definitely a good piece and i'm just gonna piggyback right off it because i don't think you can have this conversation without bringing up the entire 23 film marvel infinity saga and the fact that that they gave you know all of these filmmakers and of course in the case of lord of the rings it's just peter jackson but giving all these filmmakers all these writers all these actors just the room to make a huge 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 series of these things and like planning that out and just knowing the risks involved and i don't know that they really expected 23 films from the time they started the iron man movie but pretty soon on they were they were starting to add on more characters that they knew they were going to build out into their own movies and their own team-ups and all that stuff and it's just kind of insane you know we talk about how other than maybe star wars you know movies weren't made this way before and really not star wars because there was like big gaps between yeah, star one. wars so, wasn't made this way yeah, so really it is just Lord of the Rings is when they started to make uh, movies with it already in mind that they were going to continue right on to the next one. And I don't think, you know, you can plan such a huge overarching story like that whole Infinity Saga thing without Lord of the Rings coming first. I, I agree. I, I do want to say Star Wars did plant seeds in the first one that paid off in later installments, but it was never a guarantee that they were going to make those later installments. Lord of the Rings, they made them all at once, and then... Marvel, uh, kind of like you're saying, it puts stuff in in one movie that it's going to pay off in another main character's movie, but they already know they're going to make that main character's movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like Dave, you're saying, like when they made the first Iron Man, they didn't necessarily know what was going to come next. And there's a certain leap of faith there in that post credit scene with Samuel L. Jackson talking about the Avengers initiative, about things that are going to come up. But, you know, right. Within a few movies, those were so successful that they knew they were going to yeah. be able to build out and they could look five, six, whatever movies ahead and feel confident that those movies were going to get made. Yeah, which is still amazing. You know, I, those movies, you know, whether you love them or just think they're, you know, superhero movies, you know, whatever. I mean, it's amazing that they've been able to pull that off. Yeah. Jason, I was surprised you didn't bring up Harry Potter. I know you're It's on my fan. list. I mean, Hunger yeah. Games, Harry Potter, they're both on the list yeah. of, you know, multi-part 
sometimes shooting uh, multiple movies at once, right? And, sure. you know, Harry Potter's a wizard, obviously. So, and there's so many different types of creatures and bad guys and spells and this and that. It is definitely on my list, but I, that's why I went with Guardians of the Galaxy, just because I thought, like like you said, you mentioned this huge multi-part epic thing, so I thought someone would do that, so I was leaving it there. But yeah, but but it's uh, it's on the list. Here, I'll show it to you. <laughs> Well, we we could we could have gotten a Harry Potter impression, but instead we got Lemmy Winks. So I mean, we got I think Gandalf too. We we, we got That's the true. better end of the deal there. So, yeah, so, I, so I to speak. So. Um, <laughs> well, but right. I mean, I think Jason, as you point out, there's like so many of these. Like I had the Chronicles of Narnia on my list, right. but I mean, yeah. I think we could just talk this talk about the same point there with any of those. You know, it, it's, it's all the Percy same. Percy Jackson, of any of these, right, right things. But that, but and again, it proves the point that. Lord of the Rings is just so much of a higher bar to reach, and so many of these things don't reach it. Right. I mean, Harry Potter and Hunger Games are two examples where they actually did succeed, but most of those, they didn't make it, even if they made more than, you know, they made three Chronicles of Narnia movies, and and then it crapped out. There are seven books, and they couldn't get there, so... I think they're still trying to make a fourth, but I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if that'll happen. Like, I like... I, I'm a big fan of the Harry Potter series, but I would never say that the whole series is of the quality of Lord of the Rings. I don't think anyone's going to say the Hunger Games is of the quality of the Lord of the Rings. No, it's not. But mm-hmm. my point is just that it was successful enough to complete the story. Right. Um, they adapted yeah. all the books. They got to the end. They made the movies that they meant to make. Yeah. So we got to a lot of good points throughout all these puzzle pieces here. Uh, let's start with Josh. Do you have any like closing thoughts, anything you want to mention that we didn't maybe quite get to here? Um, I mean, I had a couple other things on my list, but I don't know that they're that essential. I mean, for the influence, Jason briefly referred to the Indiana Jones movies. I think those are clearly a big one, but we talked enough about, you know, George Lucas. Uh, I was sort of surprised that Jason didn't bring up Goonies, which Mm. uh, I know he loves. Also thought about it. And you have the Sean Astin connection in the quest. The reason I didn't bring it up was because though they all knew each other, like before they went on the quest, as opposed to going on the quest and meeting each other for that specific purpose. But Mm. I did think about it. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, I mean, influence wise, other, I feel like we should, you know, maybe give some mention to Ralph Bakshi, who made the original The Lord of the Rings animated movie. And I, I had his his movie Wizards on there as an influence more so than The Lord of the Rings. But, you know, mm. a pioneer in this that certainly paved the way in, a, in some fashion for Lord of the Rings or for Peter Jackson to make Lord of Did the Rings. Did you have the recently sure. put online Russian Lord of the Rings <laughs> miniseries, which you can watch um, it's almost like a theatrical production. I got through about a scene of it because it's made for Russian TV. It's shot like a theatrical production and there are no subtitles. So it's all in Russian. And I was like, okay, that's all I, about all I can do. So. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get that far. It is. It's available on YouTube. It was recently rediscovered after like 30 years. And I just turned it on and I, the, in the first shot is the, the one ring and it looks like it's been covered in like gold tinfoil. And I think that was, that was enough for me, but yeah, it's going to be tough to watch even if you're dedicated to it because it does not have any English subtitles. But it's yeah. interesting because was that made 1990 or when was that made? I don't know. It's, I, I just read that it was like unearthed after 30 years. So maybe around then, or maybe the late eighties. Something. Well, like okay. That. So let's say it's the late eighties and I could be wrong. But it's about the time of the fall of communism. And you could see a communist regime commissioning this because it's like, if you're greedy and looking for individual wealth, it will destroy you. Right. And it's, it's all about, uh, you know, it's a communal effort 
to support Frodo. And it's a fellowship, much like the Soviet Union is a fellowship. (laughs) So really, we have taken, you were looking for historical epics, Josh. We took a real historical epic. Actual history. (laughs) The Soviet Union is influenced by the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) And vice versa. It's all real. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Jason, any other closing thought before we wrap it up? No, I'm pretty good on now that um, we've kind of gotten into Russian history a little bit. I feel good about (laughs) our, our show. That's that's a good place to finish it up. So, uh, guys, why don't we uh, plug Awesome Movie Year and also your own uh, websites and what you've got going on. Cool. I'll plug Awesome Movie Year. It's a podcast that Josh and I do and Dave produces. It is about why each year is an awesome movie year. Each season goes into a different year, and each episode's a different movie of that year. So this episode of Piecing It Together is related to 2003. The Best Picture episode was a movie called Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. And by the time this comes out, I guess, are you going to be releasing it with in conjunction with ours? Yeah, I'm going to put this out the following week. So. Cool. Yeah. So we will be getting to our new season very shortly after that. And if you finish the 2003 season, you will be able to hear what that next season is, what the next year is. You can always go to awesomemovieyear.com to catch up on all the episodes. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on uh, Twitter. And my website, go for Jason Belongs in Communist Russia, because it's not very good or relevant anymore. <laughs> my website, also not that great, but you can check out joshbellhateseverything.com for stuff. And uh, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter, uh, where I, uh, you know, post all my reviews from various outlets and uh, written reviews and reviews on TV and on the radio. So uh, check it all out there. Awesome. And uh, everyone listening, like we just said, make sure to check out that Return of the King episode of Awesome Movie Year. We get a lot more into the the history and the background of the actual release of the movie. And uh, it's a very fun episode. So make sure to check that out. And if you join the By David Rosen Patreon, if we get just one more patron, then the three of us will act out the Lemmy Winks episode with Dave playing Mr. Slave and Josh playing Lemmy Winks. I see will, Josh shaking will, his head no, but I'll do it. That will not happen. I feel like we could do if we had if we had more patrons, we could do an episode on the Russian Lord of the Rings. That I think could be fun. But Okay. Lemmy we'll, Winks. We'll do both of them. Yeah, I don't know about that. Are you thinking of uh like costumes and video, Jason, or just uh just the song? Uh no, it's a it's a whole human centipede thing between the two of you. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Look forward to that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dietrich. I'm Alex. And I'm Ben. We're from the podcast That Song from That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. We want you to join us on our voyage across the cinematic sound waves as we take a deep dive on a new song and movie each week to figure out just what makes them tick. Already we've set sail with Celine Dion on the Titanic, found a friend in Toy Story, and gotten drenched out in the rain with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song. Or at least learn something new along the way. Just like learning that Toy Story 4 is a meaningless cash grab without a soul. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. If you use one of the bad ones, then that's on you, and we can't be held responsible. Subscribe to that song from that movie.
All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Thank you to Josh and Jason for joining me for that. And if you're not already subscribed to Awesome Movie Year, make sure you get subscribed to Awesome Movie Year. Like we said, we're wrapping up the 2003 season and have a lot more in store over there. So check out Awesome Movie Year wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, make sure to subscribe to Piecing It Together wherever you're listening as well. So that does it for today's episode. Let's close this thing out with a piece of music like I always do here on the show. You know what, I'm going to play the theme song from a web series. I guess it would be web series, because I don't think they ever continued it after the first episode. Maybe they did two episodes, I don't know. But uh, it was a project that I was hired on to score a while back uh, for some Vegas filmmakers, and they wanted something that had a very Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones kind of feel to it. The project was called Certainty. And uh, this is, man, going on like seven, eight years ago already. But uh, yeah, let's play this track, Certainty. It definitely would feel like a good fit for this Lord of the Rings episode. So you could probably find the one or two episodes of that show online somewhere, I would imagine. But if not, at least you could hear the theme song right now. And uh, we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon. West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.